Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. And uh, it is great to see every one of you here. And, um, and if just to remind you, we are in a series, um, the Lord just laid on my heart really before I even came, just called God Encounter Series. And it's kind of an audacious title of a series, uh, uh, but it is what the Lord's laid on my heart. And you've been with us the whole time. You know, we've been in several places and a lot in the Old Testament of how God encountered. We're going to be back there again. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And so in this passage, we're about to see how King Jehoshaphat, um, say that three times real fast, King Jehoshaphat, um, uh, how in, in his time and in this moment, and I've titled this the crisis encounter, because it's a, it's a real crisis. You're going to see this in just a moment in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse uh, 1 through 30. We're not going to read all the scripture, all the verses here, but this is where we'll be. Um, and so, <clears throat> so let, me, let me just try to start this. There's three kind of main sections here uh, that, I, that I really want us to focus on. The first one is this, that King Jehoshaphat himself. And the first thing I want to kind of mention and bring to in the context is the, what I'm going to call the disposition of the king. And I kind of like that word. The Lord brought it to my mind. It, it, the word means a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. In other words, our disposition, we all have one, those inherent qualities of mind and character. And you're going to see that not just with the king, but with the people and even with the Lord as he responds to the crisis in this situation. Uh, now, now, I will say this, in a, in a real crisis situation, uh, oftentimes when the pressure is put on us, the real us comes forth. You know what I'm talking about? I say it all the time. When the squeeze gets put on, what comes out? Lemons or lemonade? Right? And so in a, in, a, in a real sense, in a real crisis, the pressure is on. Now let's talk about, let, let me just share with you just real quickly here about the disposition of the king. Because in, in order to do that, we've got to back up a little bit. In Second Chronicles 17, we begin to read about Jehoshaphat as he succeeded his dad as the king. And he began to strengthen himself against Israel, the northern uh, kingdom there. Uh, but look with me in verse 3. The Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 17, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because, why? In the early years he walked in the ways of his father David. Now his, da his dad's name was not David, right? Um, in fact, it was Asa, A-S-A. So what is the Bible referencing here? He says he walked in his father David. We're going back to the first king David. I mean, not even first king Saul. David is in the lineage of Jesus, the anointed one of God. He's going way back to there. David had a heart committed to the Lord. In fact, when you go back and read the Psalms, we just read one, and, uh, uh, but when you go back and read, much of, much of what we call the Psalms was written uh, by the Lord through David. And it's very personal writings. In fact, they would have sung these songs. And when you read it, it talks a lot about coming unto the Lord, crying out to the Lord. Uh, in fact, they title some of the Psalms these complaint Psalms. In other words, they're complaining unto the Lord. There's all kinds of emotions that are coming forth when we read that. And, and the Scripture says that Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father, David. What does he mean by that? Go on with me. He said he didn't consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Now, we looked in Israel and Ahab and all that stuff that happened. Remember with Elijah and all the things that had taken place there. So he's making this uh, uh, real good description about the disposition of the king, that he had sought 
Uh, early on in his life, he had learned that he needed to follow the ways of the Lord. And as a king, he put that into practice. In fact, in verse 6, it says his heart, the king's heart, was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places, remember the Asherah poles, from Judah. Those idol, uh, idol worship, he removed that, cleansed the land. Um, and so we begin to see here just a glimpse in chapter 18. Uh, verse 4 gives us kind of an indi indication, a little bit of a disposition uh, of, of the king's heart, of who he was. Uh, Ahab in the northern kingdom, kingdom wanted him to come to war with him. We're not going to read the whole chapter. And Ahab, you know, uh, you know the story there. He didn't really even in a sense know the Lord or even care anything about what the Lord wanted to say. But when he talks to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat in verse 4 of chapter 18 says uh, to the king of Israel, First, let's seek the counsel of the Lord before we do anything. So it gives you an indication of, of his disposition. Uh, um, in chapter 19, verse 3, uh, when Jehoshaphat, he does go to war with, uh, um, he, he partners up with Ahab and goes to war with him. And yeah, the Lord deals with him. We'll get to that in a minute. But in verse 3, Jehu the seer says to Jehoshaphat, There however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Ashereth Pole. So he's saying this, this is to comfort him. But he also says this, You have set your heart on seeking God. So real, real clearly here, uh, even before we get to the dilemma and, the, and the, di the disposition of the king, Jehoshaphat was determined in his life. He had learned from his legacy, not just his dad, Asaph, but yes, his father, David. He knew the history of, uh, of Israel. He knew the history of God working among his people. And he made the decision. I mean, the word there, set. He made a decision. Let me say this. Before a crisis comes, you've already made your decision. He made the decision, I will seek the Lord. Now, let me remind you, just real clear, he was the king. He could have about done just about anything he wanted to do, said anything, could have made any decision he wanted to do. But in his heart, his disposition was what? To seek the Lord, to inquire of the Lord. Now, that, now that moves us into, go back to chapter 20. Now we're going to get to the dilemma. We see a little bit about the disposition of the king but here's the real dilemma before them. Chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. After this, some time had come after he had gone to war with Ahab and all that stuff happened. Sometime later, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Menunites came to make war with Jehoshaphat. Some, uh, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, some of the people you know, out there, probably the one that watchtower out there in the country, they come in and they say these words, a vast army is approaching or coming against you from Edom, on the other side of the sea. In fact, it's already at, uh, um, y'all got to help me with these words, Hazazon, I mean, you know, I'm not the best in, in uh, pronouncing those sometimes. Tamar, that is the Engedi. Now, if we had a map before us, they're literally, the sea they're talking about probably is the Dead Sea. And basically what's happened is there are three neighboring nations that have formed an alliance, and they're coming to take care of Judah. Right? I mean, that's what's happening. And, and what's happened here, if you can imagine, the sea is here. you got a nation here, a nation here, a nation here. They have joined an alliance, and they're coming around the southern tip of that sea. The southern part of what would be called the land of Judah. And what happened is there's some men, I mean, out there on the outpost or whatever it is, there's some men that see this vast normie, uh, number of people. The King James says a great multitude coming to them. Now, what's interesting in verse 3, the very first word, Alarmed. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat 
hears this word. Now listen, this man had been in battles before. We know this. He, he had seen battles before. He had been a part of it. He was on the front lines. He was a warrior. He was a king. He, he wasn't just somebody that sent his people out there. He had been there in the battle with his people. He had been in that kind of situation before, yet this was like no other. The word that came to him in that moment, the communication that came back to him, sent him to a place of, uh, of concern. Uh, the word says alarmed. Maybe never before, the size, the vast multitude of people that were coming, that was communicated to him, kind of rocked his world. Probably in his modern day, they had never seen such three nations bring together this massive army. To do. Now let me ask you a question, why did they do that? Listen, the nations had heard about Judah. Listen, let me back up. Nations had heard about the Lord, the God Almighty. Had he cleaned out the land? I mean, listen, God's reputation and fame had gone before him. Doesn't it make sense if you're going to come and go after Judah? You're going to bring, all, you're going to bring everybody in and then some, right? You're going to bring all we can. Why? Because, man, you're about to fight a battle. And the king, the king is alarmed. This is the dilemma. And, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. You know how we can get preachers sometimes and try to paint this picture. But this is a dire situation. This is, I know for us reading back into it, if you would have been in that day, can, can we just imagine if you were that, ma- that man out there on the edge of Judah on the southern tip and all of a sudden this massive army, I don't know how many of you have been to, uh, went to that uh, movement years ago called Stand in the Gap, prayer meeting on the national lawn. Some say there was over a million. I don't know how many people, I don't know how people counted it. All I know is I was standing in a massive number of people out there on the Washington's Capitol praying. It was overwhelming. The sea of people went on forever and ever. Imagine if you're that person and all of a sudden you see coming up from the southern tip of that sea this incredible, massive army. Unlike you've ever seen. Unlike you have in your own nation. This is like, puts your nation to shame. How many people? Can you ima- I'm just being honest. Can you imagine the fear in those guys' hearts? Can you imagine when they see this? I mean, and listen, by the time, listen, and, and just be clear here. When he says, they're, um, they're already, already in Hezazon Tamar, and Getty, they've already come across the line. It's not like they're looking out with some special ops thing, and they're seeing people miles and miles away. No, no, no. They're not looking for some satellite and can see these people advancing. from. No, they're already in our home. They have already crossed the border, and here they come. I can only imagine, I mean, can we, can we just for a moment, listen, there are people living in the outskirts of the southern part of Judah. Maybe they've already taken over some towns. Maybe they're advancing. Maybe these guys come to a place where they've already leveled our homes. They've already slaughtered people. They've already taken people captive. I mean, you can imagine what's going on here. I mean, truthfully, um, helps me here, Judah's about 3,400 square miles. Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, I got that now. That's a big place. I mean, it's a good-sized place, 3,400 square miles, right? It took time for those men to get to the king. As they're coming to give the word to the king, the king knows. Listen, he's a smart man. They've already made more ground. They're coming. How long does it take to move a mighty army? I don't know. Probably a, probably a little bit of time. Well, we'll see in just a moment. There obviously was a little bit of time because what the king decides to do. So not only the disposition and the dilemma, I just want to paint that picture. It's a real crisis. It's not just some little... And by the way, let me pause here just a moment. A crisis is a crisis, is it not? 
Learn something from me just a little bit. If somebody has a crisis, it's a real crisis. The moment we start minimizing somebody else's crisis, we don't really understand where they're coming from because a real crisis to you is going to bring forth these things in your mind, your heart, your life. Right? Um, I, I teach all the time to teachers. And, I mean, you may have a six-year-old <laughs> that doesn't have light-up tennis shoes. You know what I'm talking about? And everybody else has got them. It's a real crisis. I mean, I know sometimes hard for us to relate to the crisis. I get it. Most of us can relate to this one. Some of you may make more so. Some of you have military experience, and you might have been there on the front lines, and you can know very well what's going on in this moment. I just want to make sure we're clear. This is a, a real crisis. Just trying to paint that picture. A vast army, a great multitude is coming. The king, however, look at this, makes a decision. Look in verse 3. Alarmed. What is it? The Bible says, Jehoshaphat, look at, look at this, resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, let's just pause. Remember his disposition. The crisis is real, like he's never seen before. So what is the first thing he decides to do? I'm going to inquire of the Lord. What is he saying here? I need to hear from the Lord about what we need to do. Not only does he do that, but he, he proclaims a fast throughout the land. Now, let me, let me pause here just a minute. What does it mean to be resolved to inquire of the Lord? It means literally to, to inquire. It's not just telling the Lord what's going on. In, in other words, it comes from the root word. Uh, we get the root word, root word in, inquiry, right? In other words, we're going to gather information. If somebody does an inquiry on something, it takes time. We're gathering information. We're, we're, we're taking our time processing it. Now, he doesn't have a whole lot of time. Don't get me wrong. But to inquire is not telling the Lord what's going on. Listen, he already knows. I get that. But, but, but Jehoshaphat has made a commitment. I not only want to talk to you, but I need to hear from you. I'm, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to listen until I hear from you. There's a difference here. I need information. Oftentimes by questioning. Matthew Henry says it this way. To inquire means to set yourself to seek the Lord. That means to set it. You, now, now, this is his word. Must do it with fixedness. We probably wouldn't say it that way. We, we need to do it with fixedness of thought. That means I am focused, right? Sincerity of intention. In other words, I am here and I'm not moving until I hear from you. And he goes on to say, with utmost vigor. I like that word, vigor. We don't use that word much anymore. And a resolution to continue. In other words, I may ask him and he doesn't answer. What do I do? I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit here until I hear from the Lord. Jehoshaphat was determined. He said, I am going to hear. But not only that, but he says what? I'm going to proclaim a fast. This, is not, this isn't just about me. This is for all of us. And listen, all of us need to hear from the Lord in this moment. So he proclaims a fast throughout the land. I just remind us here today, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says what? When you fast, you can go ahead and read the rest of that passage. Fasting, I don't know how much we talk about fasting today in the Baptist church a whole lot. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind digressed. And it was nothing about looking at Gavin. It had nothing to do. Uh, I mean that. And, I, and, I'm, and I, I, you got to know a little bit about me. My mind gets running sometimes. But uh, fasting is not one of the... I mean, you know, here I am, 53 years old. I didn't grow up in church, got saved. God brought me to a Baptist church many years ago. And I've been in them since, right? And I've had the joy of being in all kinds of... Uh, Types of churches that preach the gospel and stand on the word of God, and I'm grateful for that. But but some, I mean, so so 
but we haven't always talked a whole lot about fasting, abstaining from, we always think about food, right? Because I, I made a joke this morning. If we're meeting, we're eating. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's what I, we were a little concerned. We didn't have any donuts out there this morning, you know, and we're like, oh, who's going to show up? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, I mean but, but that's us. I mean, I, listen, I can talk about us. I'm one of us. Um, but he proclaims a fast. Let me remind you, Jesus said, when you fast. I mean, in other words, when you do it, it should be a part of our life. Uh, I'll remind you of Mark chapter 9. Y'all, y'all remember? Y'all can read it later. Uh, y'all remember the transfiguration? Jesus goes up on the mountaintop and he's transfigured before them. Uh, down there, down there, uh, down the hill, the disciples are trying to uh, get a demon out of this young boy and they're not having much success. Uh, in fact, when they come back down the hill, the people run over to Jesus and say, we, we need help. In fact, they go on to say, I love it. I love the Word of God, how honest it is with us. They, they, they say to him, say, Jesus, listen, your disciples tried, but they're not doing any good at all. Now, what's interesting is after he delivers the demon, uh, the disciples do come to Jesus and they say, look, what, what's the deal? We, we've seen you do this. We tried to do this. I mean, what's going on? And he said, he said, some things come forth, uh, this kind of, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. So it's interesting, right? It, it, you know, in other words, there are some crises that we're going to encounter that require prayer and fasting. There are some things that won't come out unless we're praying, praying and fasting. I'm just, I'm just telling you what the Lord said, okay? All right, now, he made this decision. He was resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout the land. Now, Let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the people of the nation and their disposition of the, of the people. Now, in other words, it's one thing for the king to say, I'm going to inquire the Lord and proclaim a fast. And not only that, uh, the Lord, uh, I mean, the king called the people to come together. He, in other words, he sent out a decree and said, we need to gather together to inquire together of the Lord and together fast before the Lord. Now let's talk about the disposition of the people real quick. Because because there was some preparation that had been going on for the people. In other words, it's one thing for the king to say it. It's another thing for the people to do it. John Maxwell used to say all the time, a leader that thinks he leads. Let me say this. A leader uh, uh, who thinks he leads and no one follows is just taking a walk. You with me? So the king, whether you're the king or not, doesn't matter. He's leading. I mean, he's leading by example, but he sent out this decree. But let's talk about the disposition of the people because there was some work that God did in them even before the crisis ever came. They had no idea this alliance, this group was going to come against them. They had no idea this was going to happen in the future. But hang on with me in chapter 17. Go back a couple. Because when Jehoshaphat came uh, to be king, it says in verse 7, in the third year of his reign. So he's three years in. And all of a sudden, he began to send these officials out into all the towns of Judah. With them were Levites. He sent out the Levites with them uh, and some priests. In verse 9, what did they do? They taught throughout Judah, taking with them what? The book of the law of the Lord. And they went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. As a result of that, verse 10, the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah, so they didn't make war. There was a time of preparation. In other words, Jehoshaphat realized, listen, if we're going to be a people that really inquire of the Lord, people that really seek the Lord, then we got to know the Lord. How do we know the Lord? It's real simple, right? Get His Word and dig it deep into our heart. God, is, God has inspired this Word. It's living. 
powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, pierces our hearts, our minds, right? This word is that critical. And he began to lay that word out. This is the foundation that's going to help the people in this time of crisis. And I would submit to you, this word is not just something we read today, but God, God knows things that are going to happen two days from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and this word is critical for us to, to stand firm. All right. So, so now, look with me here. Um, not only did he have them teach the word, but in chapter 19, this is just preceding this, this situation that happened with all these nations coming against him. There was a time of preparation. In chapter 19, beginning in verse 4, Je- Jehoshaphat began to appoint judges, in verse 5, in the land. Why? Because he, was, he, he wanted to empower people to go out there among the people to help the people with their problems, situations, whatever it was. But look what he charges them with. He says, because you're not judging for man, but for the Lord who is now with you uh, whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. So he, he empowers these people to go forth to be spokespeople out there among the, the people. And so when they come to them for decision, for wisdom, for understanding, whatever it may be, they, they counsel them from the fear of the Lord. In other words, in everything that we do, in everything that we are, we need to come to the realization that we are here for a reason, that God has a plan and a purpose for our life, and everything that I do, every decision I make, I need to bring before the Lord. And he was commissioning these judges to help them. So the people had been prepared. I mean, this wasn't the first... I mean, yeah, it was the first crisis of this magnitude, magnitude, but it wasn't the first time this has happened in the life of the people. Now, stay with me. Chapter 20, verse 12. Now we, have, now we know the disposition of the people, and we have the dilemma before the people, right? Now, first and foremost, I've already said it, there's an invading army that's threatening their lives, and this is the big deal. There's a real, real fear welling up among the people. No doubt about that, Right? But there's also something else here. In verse 12, look at this. In chapter 20, verse 12. This is, this is, we're jumping into the middle of the prayer um, that Jehoshaphat gives. But it's, it's at the end. Look at this, verse 12. He, Jehoshaphat says this before the people. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Meaning this impending enemy, uh, this army that's coming against us. For, here it is. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now, I'm going to submit to you that there was another dilemma for the people, and it was this. The king doesn't know what to do. Now, hang on just a minute. Kings are supposed to know what to do. Generals in the army are supposed to know what to do. Are y'all with me? You don't get to become king because you don't know what to do. His decision-making has been proven in his life. Now he has faced a situation, and I'm going to submit to you that Jehoshaphat was very vulnerable with the people that he led. And he comes to this place at the end of this prayer and goes, we ain't got a clue. We don't know what to do. And you know what? We don't have the resources to do it. There's no way out of this one. Brene Brown written several books. At the heart of here's what she says: At the heart of daring leadership is a deeply human truth that we rarely acknowledge. Courage and fear are not mutually exclusive. 
Most of us feel brave and afraid at the exact same time. We feel vulnerable. Vulnerability is the emotion we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure. In other words, Jehoshaphat, acknowledging the situation, was willing to just be really honest and open with the people and go, you know what, I don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. Now, regardless of what you think about vulnerability, I will submit to you, if the king is not vulnerable in this moment, they get wiped out probably. If the king feels the pressure of the people just to come up with something to say and do, they're not going to do what the Lord tells them to do in just a moment. In fact, they won't even hear from the Lord. In his arrogance, he'll just tell people what to do, and they'll move on, and they'll get wiped out. Now, I'm going to tell you, vulnerability is a tricky thing. To come to the end of yourself and go, I really don't know what to do. Or a situation is for something, in this case, a situation has put you there and you're like, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I don't have the adequate resource. I don't have the knowledge. I, it, it seems insurmountable to me. What can I do? Listen to, the, listen to Jehoshaphat. If he, if he was here with us, inquire of the Lord. Now, look, church, I, I, let me say it this way. Crisis situations often present opportunities for us to be honest with ourselves, honest with the people around us, and honest with God and say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. If you don't do something, I don't know what to do. Now, for some of y'all, it's going to rub wrong. In your, it's, going to, it's rubbing against you right here because you're a person that knows what to do all the time. In fact, you like to tell people what to do all the time, probably. I'm not, I didn't mean it at all, Brooke. I'm looking at you at all. I don't, you got to be careful who you look at when you say things like that. But let's, let's, let's be honest. The people were having to, I mean, the people had to deal with this. Our king is being vulnerable. Listen to the words again. Let me just read it again. Here, this verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army. At this time, the whole people have gathered together that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In one sense, if you're looking at that, that seems pretty helpless. So the people really had a dilemma. What are we going to do? we got this army. They're already on, in our country. We have a king that's not sure what to do, but he's called a fast and he wants us to pray about it. Is what's happening. All right, so, so, so let me say this. The decision that the people made, chapter 20, verse 4, right? The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. The Bible records that. Judah, like I told you, is 3,400 square miles. It took some time to walk there. The edict went out. I mean, that's why, that's why it helps us understand. Yes, the, 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 the armies are approaching, but there was some time here. The edict goes out probably pretty quick throughout the towns. But, but, but listen to me. The people come. Why? They had been prepared to say, look, the king has spoken. We need to gather and inquire. This is the most important thing we can do right now. It's not assemble the armies. It's not fortify the cities. It's in hearing from the Lord. And it shows us a little bit about the sensitivity of the people because they come. They come. And, 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 and church, look at me. I look around this morning. I've got... Uh, mamas and daddies and children and all kind of folks here. And they all came. 
They all came. It wasn't children's church over in somewhere. I mean, they all gathered together and they, they stood before the Lord to inquire. And I love that picture. So, so first and foremost, they come. Now, the last thing is this, and I'm going to call it the God encounter. In other words, I, I really believe God often allows crisis situations to come in our life. Why? Because he's about to reveal something about himself to us personally in this moment. It's an opportunity. So the first thing that we're going to see here in, in, in the God encounter is the disposition of the Lord. And it comes out in Jehoshaphat's prayer. In other words, in chapter 20, verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord. They're, they're all gathered here. They're all come together. He's going to lead them in prayer, which I, I think is admirable. I mean, this is a king. This may not be the person you would normally be leading the prayer meeting. He's leading the battle. He's got the, 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 the army set to go out. But, but here he is sensitivity to the Lord. It tells us a little bit about him. And he begins to lead this in a time of inquiring of the Lord. But listen to how his prayer goes. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? Now let me just pause right there. The God that he's referencing isn't in some temple. It's not just some little land. In fact, he goes on. You rule, look at this. You rule over all kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. I mean, very simply, well, I mean, the disposition of the Lord, what is it? We see clearly in the prayer, God is sovereign. All, I mean, look at the words, all-powerful, almighty God. And so in this moment of desperation and crisis, as they gather to inquire of the Lord, what wells up in Jehoshaphat is to, is to proclaim unto the Lord, you are all-powerful. You're not just king of Judah, you're king of the world. Even these people, these enemies that are coming, you rule it all. Even if someone says they sit on the throne, mm, you're the real king over all, all kings. So he reminds him. I'm almost in this prayer. As he's praying, he's reminding the people, I'm all powerful. I'm almighty. Not only that, look at this. Um, verse 7, oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham? They have lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name. Remember this? We're going back to Solomon a few weeks ago. Saying what? If calamity comes, whether sword of judgment, plague, famine, doesn't matter. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear and save us. In this moment, well, I mean, what, what is he doing? The disposition of God. Not only is God sovereign, but God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Remember what he revealed over here to Solomon a few weeks ago? He, he revealed, revealed to the people of God. And what is, what is Jehoshaphat doing? He is, he is hanging on to the fact that God is with us, and he loves us, and he will champion our cause. He will deliver us, that's the cry of his heart, from this impending crisis. Not only that, look at here in verse 8, 9. Again. Not only, he says, if calamity comes and all that, I just read this, cry out to you in our distress. Not only is he consistent, but God is faithful. In other words, in this, in this prayer, he's reminding the Lord of the promises that he gave his people. In fact, you remember in Solomon's prayer, he said, if you do this, then I will deliver you. Now let me remind us, church, standing on the promises of God, we, we desperately need the Lord 
and His Word, His promise in our heart. The disposition of the Lord is what He is sovereign, He's consistent, and He's faithful. Now the next thing is this, the decision that the Lord makes. Verse 14, look with me. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jehaziel, and it goes on. The Levite and a descendant of Asaph, and he stood in the, in the assembly. Let me say this, God is about to speak to his people. And the first thing I want to say this is this, he speaks through this Levite, Jehaziel who was a descendant of Asaph. Asaph, you remember in your Bible, in Psalms, was a leader, was a worship leader. He was a song leader. Best I can tell, there's not a whole lot that we know more about him. I mean, I know he was a Levite set apart. We understand that, but there's a whole bunch of them. But he's not one that would have come to our knowledge and would have been recognized. We have no record that I know of before that of where he did this wonderful thing or God used him in this way. But in this moment, Church, listen, in this moment of crisis, God raised up a person among them. That quite honestly, if I'd have had to reach out there and pick him, I probably wouldn't have picked him. And yet in this moment, God reveals himself to this person, seeming ordinary person. And God uses him to speak his word to his people in this moment. I think that's pretty significant. Listen, God's in the business of using ordinary people. In extraordinary ways, right? And it's no different. He speaks through the Levite Jehaziel. But what does he speak? Listen to what comes out of the mouth of this, of this Levite. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, this major crisis. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I want us to hear that right now. Listen, I believe that God brought me to this word, to this place, to this moment at this time because there are some of us here today that are walking in a crisis. Now, preachers are notorious trying to bring it home and trying to apply it, but I'm telling you, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you right now, don't, don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. In fact, I heard someone say, God has spoken over 365 times in this word, says don't fear. One for every single day of the year. That's a great word. We need to hear that. The people needed to hear it. There was a, there was, obviously, that was there in their hearts. The second thing he speaks is what? Tomorrow. Oh, wait, wait, let me back up. Do not fear because of this vast army. Why? Because the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Uh, and we need to hear this. This battle, this crisis is not ours. It's not on me. It's not on me and my performance and what I can do, what I can bring to the table. In fact, God says, I've got this. This is my battle. I'm doing a work here that you have no concept over. Yeah, there's an enemy approaching you, and I get it. You're full of fear. You might be even dismayed, but I'm going to calm those fears. Not only that, I'm going to take care of you in the midst of it. We need to understand this. People of God, Flint Hill, it's not our battle, it's the Lord's. God doesn't expect you to have all it bit together and have all these plans, whatever it may be. God just wants you to be sensitive to His leadership and listen to Him in the midst of it. And He's saying, it's not your battle. Which is a, I don't know about you, but that, that takes the pressure off. I mean, if you've ever been in a crisis or if you're one, you can feel the pressure mounting sometimes. And God, with his peace, saying, look, let me just take that off the table because I'm going to take care of it. And he goes on to say, tomorrow, climbing, he tells him to go to the pass of Ziz and all this stuff. 
And he says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm. Why? And see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Not only does he say, don't fear. Not only is he saying, this is my battle. But he says, I am with you in the midst of this crisis. I'm here. And you're going to see that. You're going to see visibly my presence made manifest among you in this moment. Now, how do we know it was the Lord speaking to them in this moment? We see in verse 18, Jehoshaphat and the whole people bowed their face to the ground. They were in the presence of Almighty God. They heard this word from the Lord. They knew it was for them. And they bowed down before him to worship him. They stood up and began to praise him, just like we did a few moments ago. With a very loud voice, the Bible says, thanks be to God. Sing out loud, church. The next morning, they get up. As they approach, they do exactly what the Lord says. But then all of a sudden, in verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat begins, as he's continuing to inquire of the Lord, listening to the Lord, he says, look, we need to appoint some singers to the front lines. That's not what you normally do in battle. But it is when you're battling in the Lord. Our weapons are not of this world. And let me just say to you, if you've got the ability to proclaim praise out of that mouth, we ought to be praising him. And so Jehoshaphat hears from the Lord, and in this moment he says, we need to appoint some singers up on the front lines. And they begin to sing at the head of the army. And what are they singing? Give thanks to the Lord. And I'm going to ask, for he is good. I don't know, I think the song goes that way. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they begin to sing praises unto the Lord. What I love about this, look, God's deliverance of the people was spoken in the prayer meeting. It was signed, sealed, delivered. Amen? Is that right? Amen. They didn't realize it, please hear this, until they began to praise Him. Walking by faith upon the Word of God, what God had instructed, opened up the windows of heaven, and all of a sudden they began to realize personally in that moment their deliverance. The Bible records for us in verse 22, as they began to sing and praise the Lord, fill in the blanks, began to set ambushes. He began to do his work. He delivered the people. They never battled at all. God set them free. They realized their freedom as they took his word and began to walk by faith. How did they walk by faith? Began praising him. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And they began to praise him. You got to come on up here, Gavin. I'm not sure where all we need to go at this point. But I, I want to say to you, church, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I do want to get, I, I do want to get kind of out of the way here in a moment. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing a song of invitation. Really, I, I, don't, I don't know if I use that word, invitation, a response song. Maybe that's a better word. Let's just pause here just a moment. And bow your heads with me just for a moment. I need to ask a question. With eyes kind of closed in a prayerful mode here. I just want to ask a question to the people of God here today. Is there anyone here today that is walking in what you would call a crisis situation? Just lift your hand up real quickly here. Let me see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. You can put it back down. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. God's word is true.
I want to speak to you this morning. Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord is with you. Wherever you are in this moment, this crisis, this situation, you may be standing still before the Lord and inquiring of Him. That's fine. But in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. Friend, I, I, I want to be just as real as I can. As we stand and sing, this altar is available for you to come and kneel. You don't have to kneel at this altar. You can kneel where you are. You don't even have to kneel, per se. But if you need to, maybe right now for the first time, just hand all this off to the Lord. In a very personal way, maybe like Jehoshaphat, seek your heart on inquiring and hearing from the Lord in this moment. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the joy of being in the house of the Lord. Thank you for your word that is true. And I pray, Father, right now, God, as we sing this song of invitation, God, that you would just do your work in our hearts and among your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to sing this song of response. Friend, if you're here today and you, and you need to make this your altar, you come as we sing. You come. Let's just sing this unto the Lord. Amen.